and welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership series. My name is Scott Miller, and I serve as your host and interviewer each week. Now, for those of you who are subscribing to our podcast, you know that most weeks we have a world-renowned thought leader, business titan, CEO, author, someone who comes to us via the screen because they're usually on a remote speaking tour or somewhere around the world. Occasionally, we have the privilege of having someone join us here live on the set at our headquarters in Salt Lake City. And today is just that day. I am honored to announce that today our guest is Kristen Ulmer, the author of the book, The Art of Fear, a member of the US ski team, a renowned skier, expert on fear and anxiety, known at one point as the world's, the, the world's most extreme athlete in the female category amongst many other accolades. Kristen, welcome to On Leadership. Scott, it's nice to be here. I probably slaughtered all of your accolades because there's so many. I picked a couple out. You've actually been in 20 different ski movies. Yes, and I was on the U.S. ski team for moguls, but I'm more known for being considered the best woman big mountain extreme skier in the world for 12 years. Stop. No, so slow that down. Say that uh, accolade again because that's pretty phenomenal. So for 12 years, I was the best in the world at big mountain extreme skiing, which is if you're risking your life, like uh, out in the mountains, yes. and the, co the consequences of failure are death, that's extreme skiing. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. Yes. <laughs> for the audience that perhaps has read your book or has a little bit of knowledge, will you fill in some of the blanks? Take a minute or two, Chris, and kind of tell us your journey. Where are you from? How did you get involved in skiing and, and your passion around this topic of fear? Give us a little bit of the texture of your life. Well, I didn't learn about what to do about fear and anxiety by studying it in college. I learned through just real life in the dirt experience. And I was dealing with a tremendous amount of fear on a daily basis, risking my life out there in the mountains. And I, at this point, just really see my ski career as a education on what not to do about fear and what to do about fear that I've spent a lot of time dissecting. The book is The Art of Fear. I've read the entire book. Uh, I really enjoyed it. There's uh, some pivot points in the book that allow the reader to keep momentum going on a very kind of serious topic, right? A bit of a heavy topic, fear. And you use a lot of fun adages and stories and metaphors to keep the book light and moving forward. So I want to ask about a couple of those. The first is you use this metaphor called the 10,000 employees. Talk a bit about how we're kind of our own company or corporation and where fear integrates into that. I love this analogy because it explains so much. It explains why we have emotional issues in the first place. So imagine that you are a father to 10,000 children. God forbid Whoa. I know. <laughs> and, hey, it's and Utah. <laughs> it, it, could be, it could happen. Yes, you're right. Uh, but hopefully not because that's a lot of children. But that's kind of what we are as human beings. We have these 10,000 different states of being. And 10,000 is the traditional number in Zen. So imagine that half your children you've named love, joy, gratitude, forgiveness, and the other half of your children you've named fear, anger, sadness, despair. Despite your best intention, could you treat them all the same way? And the answer is, well, no. And so what we tend to do is we want to nurture and love and show off to the world these children over here. What do we do with these children over here, though? Go ahead. Keep going. No, you, what do you think? In, in the book, it's tough because you talk about the you talk about this concept of, of feeling fear. In fact, I think you describe courage as the ability to feel fear. Well, let me continue the analogy then. So what we tend to do, we, we're nurturing and loving and showing off to the world these children. 
and we put duct tape over these children's mm. mouth. We lock them in the basement and we throw away the key and we want to have nothing to do with them. And so now they're down there with no food, no water, no love, no sunshine in the dark and they're festering and they're kind of joining together to conspire to get out in any way possible. So here's a child that you've been ignoring for a long time and uh, locked in the basement and it'll erupt out. Like if you plug a volcano, it'll erupt out the cracks. If you kind of block out fear, it'll come out and start to either show up in, an, in a kind of an exaggerated way as irrational fear or an anxiety disorder or panic attacks, or it'll show up redirected in other ways, um, like for example, anger. If somebody doesn't want to deal with their fear, well, they have to feel something, so they'll feel anger. Or it'll hijack your mind and show up in your thoughts. Like feel, fear is an emotion in our bodies. And proven by science, like that's where it shows up first. And if you're starting to have fearful thoughts, or if you're in your head with fearful thoughts all the time, or if fear is waking you up in the middle of the night when you can't sleep, that's another sign that you've been, I call it repressing or resisting or locking fear in the basement. And then that's one way that it can get out and meet you where you are. Is there a difference between feeling fear and facing fear? When I read some of the quotes in the book around feeling fear, I would have thought it would have said, facing fear, but you deliberately use the word feeling. What's the difference between facing and fearing? feeling? Well, facing fear is, is something that everybody says, oh, you need to face right. your fears. But right. then it suggests, okay, you need to face them. And I love to personify fear. It's like, okay, I need to face it. This is my fear. And then we think, okay, and now I want to punch it in the face. I want it to shut it up. Or I want to have a war with it that I want to conquer and Confront overcome it. it. Right. Um, I want to let it go, all these things. And so face your fear usually has a comma after it. And then what do you do? Mm. I mean, face your fear. Okay, yes, something's scary. Um, and then we think that we need to get rid of it in order to do the scary thing. But I actually say that if you do that, not only is it not possible, you might temporarily be able to quiet it down, but it's only going to come back louder next time. Um, I say instead of trying to get rid of it, we actually then use it as a resource. And that's what I was doing out there in the mountains. It's like I was Batman and Fear was my Robin, and we were stronger together than apart. So fear is actually our, one of our greatest assets and allies. It's not actually a problem for us all. If, the problem actually that we've come to have with fear is the way that we treat it, the way that we view it, um, the way that we're trying to fight it. All of that is causing problems for us and creating anxiety disorders. And anxiety is actually fear. We don't even call it fear anymore. We call it anything but fear. It's a, we call it anxiety, nerves, worry, all those things. Um, it's just recirculating fear that's stuck in our bodies going round and round. And so if we learn how to have a healthier relationship with it, then anxiety mm -hmm. disorders dissolve. Why did you write the book? Did it come out of your experience as a world-renowned athlete and, and feeling your own fear? Did you see other people in the sport, in your realm, struggling? You shared some stories that are both you know, athletically oriented and, 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 and personally oriented. Talk a bit about what your journey of writing the book. I wrote the book because we're just, you know, we've, we're so invested in trying to conquer and overcome fear, and it's just not working. Anxiety disorders are only getting worse and worse. And, uh, you know, it took me 33 years to dissect all of this and figure out what the problem is. You know, like, why are we facing irrational fears, panic attacks, anxiety disorders, insomnia, PTSD, depression? Like, all these emotional issues can be dis uh, explained in one simple way. And I did some things right by fear during my ski career, and I did some things wrong by fear. And the things that I did wrong by fear started causing problems for me. 
the things I did right by fear, which is what I started to explain, I had an intimate relationship with fear. Mm -hmm. It helped me be magnificent out there. But the things I did wrong by fear, I find that you can get away with locking fear in the basement for about 10 years at the very most, and then things start to go south for you. And I started developing PTSD. I saw a lot of friends die, a lot of near-death experiences. I started to burn out. And 99% of my, I had a paradox going on with, with fear. And the part of me that resisted fear, I was really good at ignoring it. The amount of effort and energy that I had to spend in ignoring my fear was taking 99% of my energy. So I was burnt out. Um, and I started having a lot of injuries because I had to become a really mm. rigid, stoic mm. person in order to not deal with my fear. And in a sport as violent as skiing, uh, you break if you're rigid. Um, so I wrote the book because I, I had figured all this out, that that's what was causing problems for me in my own life. And I worked with about 10,000 clients now. And I found that no matter what the issue they have in their life, it could be psychological, spiritual, emotional, physical, their relationship with fear has something or e even possibly everything to do with it. And if I can help people have a more considerate, loving, caring, feeling relationship with fear, then these problems resolve. And I'm, I'm innately not a very, you know, I don't like to work 90 hours a week. I'm a lady of leisure. But I figure I, I had to put this in book form and bring it to the world because what we're doing isn't working. And what I found that does work is captured in this book. Well, I think it's a gift. I'll be honest. When I started to read it, I couldn't relate to your life very well because of your yeah. fame and your, your career versus my career, right? I mean, this is my mountain, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and this is a little different than what your mountain was. But the more I got into it, I found it to be actually a great uh, coaching book for even professionals because I found a lot of my fears existed about my willingness to grow, my willingness to change were addressed in the book. You share some great stories, some funny quips. There's one that really um, sang to me, and it's a story about a dog and a stick. Mm -hmm. Will you tell us that story? And I'm going to read a quote out of the book, if you don't mind. Okay, do you want to read the quote first? Well, I, I'm happy to. So uh, the quote is, um, how long does it take you to drop the stick you're carrying in order to take home a new stick? Okay, so... The current way that we deal with fear, I consider the, the stick that you're carrying. And we've come up with so many methods and modalities to deal with our fear and our anxiety, um, like meditation, breathing exercises, cognitive behavioral therapy, drugs, um, you know, prescription and recreational drugs. Like everybody is has their own kind of way of feeling less anxious. And these things are great and they can take you from miserable to functional, and they're, but they're symptom control only. Um, in all of them, none of them are offering an actual explanation for why we have growing fear and anxiety issues in the first place. Um, and then they also aren't really working. Like they're just symptom control only. And if they were working, then you know anxiety would be resolving, but instead it's becoming only more and more prevalent. I mean, it's, it's actually a crisis at this point. I actually say that these things are actually causing worse anxiety disorders because we think that we're using them to deal with our fear and anxiety, but really these are techniques to not deal with our fear and anxiety. Like here's this whining child and it's like I'm doing breathing exercises to let go of it. I'm, I'm fighting or conquering it. I'm, I'm kind of ra trying to rationalize it away. 
One thing that I see too is that we're so in our heads as a way to not deal with our fear in our bodies, which is there all the time. So that's the stick that we're carrying. It's not working. I mean, it's an okay stick. It's working well enough, but there's a new juicier stick that I'm offering. And you know, first we have to be willing to drop the stick that we're carrying yeah. to grab the new stick. Now, will dogs do this? If they're carrying a stick, they find a juicier stick, they'll do it in or a- they'll go back and forth. Right. right? Or they'll stick with the one they have. Or, right, yeah. right. So we have to be willing to drop the stick that we've been carrying and pick up a new juicier stick that not only resolves anxiety problems and other emotional problems, but actually then the fear becomes the very thing that helps us be magnificent. Kristen, you don't claim to be a psychiatrist, and you're not. No. But you have a lot of experience, a lot of reps, helping people with fear and anxiety. Why are we seeing such an exponential increase and rise in anxiety disorders? And any advice you would give from the hundreds and thousands of clients you've had to people who may be experiencing maybe lower level anxiety what, what advice would you give even professionals that are feeling burnt out and, and, and are living anxiety, how to, how to feel that fear and move through it? So I had a client named Mike who was struggling with, and he, he picked a job where he had to give a lot of speeches. So imagine that. And he had anxiety disorder, social anxiety, panic attacks, couldn't sleep at night. And he came to me, he's like, help. So um, the thing is we have this amygdala two almond-shaped nuggets at the top of the mm -hmm. spine. And it's the manufacturing plant for fear. And all data is run through the amygdala first. And if there's a perceived threat, the amygdala will manufacture fear and send it as a shot of discomfort, a feeling in your body, into your body. Cortisone Poop, or adrenaline? Right. Or well, it may or may not result in cortisone right away, okay. but it's always there. And, and it's supposed to flow into, through, and out of your body with each perceived threat in 10 to 90 seconds. So proven by science, 10 to 90 seconds, proven by science, it shows up in our bodies first. But the thing is, to the amygdala, everything is a perceived threat. And as a result, fear is with us every single moment of every single day in pretty much every single interaction we have. And we're in denial of this. You know, We're so in our heads so we don't have to feel it, but it's always there in our undercurrent. And so it becomes very important you can imagine what your relationship is with that fear. And especially if you're going to do big things with your life and give speeches and all of that, it's going to be there even more. You know, it's normal and natural to feel it. So what he was doing, like imagine fear like droplets of water flowing through your body, like water through a hose. If you see it and you want to get rid of it, and next thing you know, in your head, you're in your head to not deal with it, or you're trying to conquer or overcome it or let it go or meditate it away, the hose becomes kinked. And then the fear just gets stuck, recirculating round and round. This happens with PTSD as well. And uh, next thing you know, this becomes all you know, and you have an anxiety disorder. And so the stick that we're carrying is more methods and modalities to keep that hose kinked or to, to get rid of it or not deal with it, medicate it away if we have to. Whereas what I do is I help people have a conversation with their fear. Everybody's so different. Uh, you know, 7.5 billion different people, there's 7.5 billion different unique relationships mm -hmm. with fear. I help mm -hmm. people see exactly what their relationship is with it, see what the problem is, usually it's some sort of kinked hose, and then I broker a, a more honest, inclusive relationship mm -hmm. with their fear, um, and then the hose becomes unkinked and they're in flow again. And I, I mean, I only worked with uh, Mike for six hours and he's fine now. And I checked in, because I worked with him five years ago. I'm like, how's it going? He's like, still good. So um, I mean, that's the power of this work. And it's counterintuitive, though. 
like if fear's been like we you know fear's Deeply been whining right it's yeah. like we're, we're so it's like it wakes us up in the middle of the night what do we do we go distract ourselves from it it's not in our kind of wheelhouse to turn towards it and actually be curious about it and give this child some love some consideration and then like children do they calm right down and it's it's so fast too i couldn't help uh, think about the movie inside out when I was reading your book, it's a children's animated movie. Yes. I never would have watched it had I not have three boys, right? But it's almost like Hollywood's made a movie out of your book, perhaps without your endorsement or you've not seen this movie. I haven't seen it. I, I'm like kind of mad that they didn't call me. Like I have clients that work for Disney. Like somebody had to have known that I'm out here. But that movie is basically what I teach from what I've heard. I have to see it though. Yeah. Well, it's a fascinating movie. I forget the, the, the um, young lady's name, but she has, uh, the movie is a, a cartoon, obviously, or animation of a lot of these, this metaphor of 10,000 know, kids in your family and the role that fear and anxiety and love and joy and paranoia, it's very tender. It's a nice movie for young children to help to appreciate their emotions, right? And understand what they're facing. It'll be a big moment when I go see that movie. Yeah, and I'm that. waiting for it to come to me instead yeah. of me mm, going out and finding it. Tell us, tell us, what you've learned most about feeling fear and how you've overcome some of the own fears in your own life and career and in your post skiing now as a professional and a speaker and an author and a guide and coach to others what are some of the most tangible nuggets you've learned that people listening or watching today can say aha i'm experiencing that here's something i could do today or tomorrow to help mitigate fear in my life well you just said what are some things that you've done to overcome your own fear so listen to that language like fear is not meant to be overcome. It's not a problem to be solved. It's a resource to be tapped into. Now that's a paradigm shift, I think, for most people. Yes. Because even my own language is steeped in a lot of the books that I read around facing and overcoming. And you're saying in and of itself, that's a flawed mindset. It is. Yeah. And it's what's causing all sorts of emotional problems in our culture. You see, there's not good and bad fear. There's only fear. But However we treat the fear determines whether it shows up in a bad way in our lives or in a good way in our lives. And if we repress it, resist it, ignore it, try to fight it, be in our heads about it so we don't, you know, trying to understand it. Like emotional intelligence is seen as our ability to understand and control our emotions. We can't understand fear. We never will be able to understand it. It's far too complex. It's just a, and it's actually, it's not complex. It's actually a very simple process. And we definitely can't control it. Whatever you try to control just winds up controlling you. And so um, the, the tips and pointers that I have to give are this. First of all, get to know your unique relationship with fear. Like, what is it? You know, most of us refuse to believe that fear is that big of a part of our lives. But if you start to kind of have that conversation, like, what is, what is my how relationship? Does someone, how does someone uncover that or, or name it or know it? Well, we can close our eyes right now and we can go inward and just find any form of discomfort that you feel anywhere in your body. And don't get too caught up on the word fear. It may show up as fear, it may show up as anxiety or worry, it could show up as anger. Hmm. You know, somebody that doesn't wanna feel fear, like that's what they feel instead. It could show up as sadness, like if fear's not okay, if anger's not okay, then then, you know, somebody will just feel sadness. But any kind of emotional discomfort or even physical discomfort, like a, your, bro, your back pain, like just notice the emotional component that's there with that discomfort. So that's your fear. What is your relationship with that feeling? 
Are you ignoring it? Are you taking pills to not deal with it? Like I keep saying, are you in your head all the time so you don't have to deal with it? Like what, what is your relationship with that? So get to know that relationship. Um, another tip is we have got to stop calling uh, fear an enemy. We've got to stop seeing it as something to conquer and overcome. What that language does is it suggests a war. You know, I want to right. triumph over it. And it puts us at war with ourself at our core. Fear is such a huge part of who we are. It's in our bodies. We feel it all the time. If you're at war with that, you're at war with yourself at your core. You're at war with the nature of life itself. And you're going to live a very difficult life. So what I help people do is end that war. But just notice what kind of relationship you have. And if it's war, then that's the worst. It really is. Um, so we need to change our language. Like, don't say conquer and fear and overcome and fear in the same sentence. It's not false evidence appearing real. It is real. The worst thing you can say to your kids when they're young, when they say, I feel afraid, is there's nothing to be afraid of. Because it's not true. You know, there's a lot to be afraid of. This is a very scary experience we're having here on Earth. And the kid knows, you know, innately that that's not true. But in order to get mommy or daddy's, um, I guess, uh, just to, to have them Comfort think that they're, them. yeah, think that they're great, you know, they'll repress it. That's, that's when the madness starts. So they lock it down in the basement, and they throw away the key, um, and then mommy and daddy love them. But then they, they never have access to that resource that is their intuition, their motivation, um, the, the very thing that's going to help them be more sharp and focused, the very thing that's going to help them feel alive, all of that. And uh, they grow up having emotional issues. So instead, what would your advice be to parents when their child comes and expresses fear? Parents should instead say and do what? Yes, so we need to change our language. I would say, yes, it, it's, this is very, very scary. You know, that's very scary. That water slide is scary. I had a client once who, um, whose kid had a, a serious anxiety disorder. He was only 10 years old. And they went to the water park. And uh, he said, you want to go on the water slide? No, 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 I'm scared. And the dad said, there's nothing to be afraid of. Clearly, there is something to be afraid of. The whole reason why the water park exists is so that we can go and feel fear. That's what makes it so fun. And so what he could have said instead is, yes, it is scary. Are you in the mood for fear today? Hmm. Um, and if he says no, okay, well, let me know if you're in the mood for fear later. Or imagine saying to a child, like, go out there and conquer your fear if they're about to do something scary versus go out there and... Um, just do that. Like if we're taking risks, if we're doing things that scare us, that's our opportunity to learn and grow because it's taking us out of our comfort zone. There is no learning and growing without fear. So if that father were to say, you know, you know, I'm so proud of you for taking this risk, and I know it's really, really scary. You know, go out there and and um, you know tap into your fear and, and have it help you come alive out there. So when parents are facing children that have fears, legitimate fears. Anxiety disorders. Anxiety as well. Or just, yeah. short, you know, maybe it might be just a, um, a fear of the water slide, which right. I wouldn't necessarily say is an anxiety issue. Right. Maybe it is. But should parents push their kids through it? Should we let our child decide, are you willing or interested in facing or experiencing fear today and let them not? Use just positive language around fear. Okay. Resist the urge to put a comma after your sentence. Like... Okay, are you in the mood for fear today? The water slide's very scary. That's what, you know, for some people makes it fun. 
comma, right? Which is what te people tend to do. So let go of your fear. Like it sends mixed messages. Just say, are you in the mood for fear today? Okay. Fear is one of the best experiences we get to have here on planet Earth because it makes us feel so alive. Could be great advice in the professional realm. I was going to ask you next, what advice yes. would you give leaders? Oh my god! And gosh. I was just thinking about, you know, in a, in a meeting where we're taking on a new project, what, what advice would you give leaders that are challenging team members to move outside their comfort zone, their skill set? Same, same advice? Absolutely. Like when I decided to write this book, for example, I didn't have a lot of fear in my life. My ski career was long behind me. I'd been just working with clients, helping broker a different conversation between them and their fear. And then I'm like, you know, I'm kind of in the mood for fear. I'm kind of in the mood to take on doctors, psychologists, self-help gurus, everybody that ever had an opinion about fear. I mean, I am a industry disruptor. You know, what I'm teaching is so radically different than anything else out there. Like, am I in the mood to, you know, blow up my life, start working 90 hours a week, put my, you know, live these interviews? Like, this stuff is scary, right? And, um, and I, I was. And so, and I knew that it was time for me to grow. It's like, here's my comfort zone. I interviewed Alex Hunold, actually, at length. He's the one that free soloed El Cap. And everybody thinks that he doesn't have any fear or that he has some sort of damaged amygdala. It's not true. I talked to him for two hours about fear. Here's what he does, and this is what I'm doing, and this is what I recommend people do. Like, here's your comfort zone, and if you live in it, you're still going to feel fear. But if you're willing to feel fear, right, you're going to step out of your comfort zone where there's risk, which involves fear. You do this often enough, connect the new dots, this is your new comfort zone. Yeah. Do it again. Yeah you know, in increments. And that's how Alex Hunold free soloed El Cap. If he had done it his first year in Yosemite, never would have worked. He would have died. But, you know, this is how we expand who we are. So by taking risks, next thing you know, we're becoming the again and again where there exists fear. Um, like I was talking to somebody recently. They're like, oh, I don't like to go skiing because it's too scary. Well, that person may be a fear avoider. Like, are you a fear avoider or are you a risk taker? And people that are doing big things with their life are risk takers. And when you're out of your comfort zone, the fear is actually there to keep you sharp and focused. Um, in extreme sports, extreme sports are notorious for taking people into the zone. It's not despite the fear, it's because of the fear. Like when you're willing to feel your fear, and the big word is when you can learn how to become intimate with your fear then it's the very thing that helps you be absolutely phenomenal. Wow. I don't want to misquote you, but I think you said one of your expertises is helping people to broker a conversation with their fear. Is that accurate? Yes. How does that work? How does someone listening today, they can't come to Utah, they want to read your book, they can't hire you yet to be part of your clinic or in your business. How does someone begin to broker their own conversation with their fear? I use voice dialogue as a facilitation tool to... Um, help people do that. It's like the fast track. Um, my, uh, I use a game called Shift, the game of 10,000 wisdoms. Um, and a version of this, a very uh, famous spiritual artist called the most significant teaching tool ever invented in the history of the world to give people access to different forms of consciousness in a matter of hours, which would otherwise take 30 years meditating in a monastery to achieve. So I have like this fast track version to take people there and really get them crystal clear what their relationship is with fear. It's probably very different than you think. Um, where it's compromised and what we can do to make it better. But if uh, you're not working with me, what I can suggest is just 
Um, if you have some sort of emotional issue, and it doesn't matter what kind it is, it oh, doesn't do. even have to be <laughs> anything to do with fear. You know, it could be depression, PTSD, if it's emotions waking yeah, you up in the middle of the right. night. Like just spend. It could be a career change. It could be something you're a big opportunity you're facing yes. that requires you to pick up a new stick. Yes. So first acknowledge that it's normal and natural to feel discomfort. It's not a sign of personal weakness nor a character flaw. And that can be absolutely life-changing for people to really get that. Because we've convinced ourselves that fear is not even real. It's not true. I feel it. You know, when my book came out, I Googled everywhere. I looked everywhere. Are there any other fear experts? There were none. Like, how could that be? Hmm. And I think the reason why is because we expect our fear experts to be fearless, which is not only impossible, but undesirable. Fearless doesn't exist. No. And we expect them to teach other people how to be fearless. And it's, it's not possible. And so, you know, I, I'm like willing to own that, you know, I feel scared. This is very scary for me to, you know, be here, talk about sure, this. Like, sure. I mean, you know, swimming upstream from the norm, offering people new stick. Like, mm-hmm. this is very scary. So acknowledging that it's normal and natural is huge for people. Second step, that thing that I was talking about where that where you close your eyes and you find that discomfort. Um, third step is, and you can point to where in your body you feel the discomfort too, like how strong is it? And um, the third step is then notice what your relationship is with that discomfort. And I want to introduce an equation that's in the book. Suffering equals discomfort times resistance. So the discomfort is innate. It's very hard to if you think of it in terms of a mathematical equation, like it's hard to change that number. Um, resistance, though, is taught. Everyone's teaching resistance. And the resistance, whatever you resist, persists, right? Mm. Let's say your level of fear or anxiety or sadness or whatever, anger, is a level five today. And your resistance to it, like I don't want to feel this, I wish it would go away, is a level 10. What's five times 10? It's a lot of suffering. Mm. Hard to change that five number, a lot easier to change the resistance. So spend some time just getting to know your resistance to it. What does it look like? And then the fourth step is back to the analogy of it being a child, like these emotions or these negative thoughts or emotions, like they're children. And they're, if they're screaming and yelling and carrying on trying to get your attention, if you continue to ignore them or try to get rid of them or medicate them away, they're only going to get louder. It's just a temporary solution. And they come back, you know, the second you t- stop taking the pills or the whatever, or you stop meditating. Um, like I know people who meditate like five times a day just to function, just to kind of wow. get rid of, right? But if you this time instead turn towards this upset child, this screaming child, and just say, okay, honey, what's what's wrong and give that child some love you know what happens is that child calms right down keep it up anxiety disorders go away depression lifts uh, irrational fear goes away you can sleep better you function better and then you can also after that learn how to tap into the resource that is fear to help you bring your a-game to everything that you do Kristen, I have so enjoyed listening to you. For all of our listeners and viewers that are falling in love with you and, and realizing how valuable the book is, talk about what you're working on. What are you doing right now? You have a lot of uh, 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 camps and clinics in Utah and such. If someone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to, to, to talk, with about, talk with you directly? Well, please buy my book. But yeah, also, I, I just a couple, well, a week ago now, I finished a 
um, free fear and anxiety assessment on my website that okay. I'm really proud of. Like, okay. go to my website, take it. Um, the questions are really compelling, and you're going to get insights popping up like popcorn just by taking it. And then um, I give you, it's not just like a hard sell after that. I actually give you some great tips and pointers to get started that can help you in your journey to having a more healthy relationship with fear. So just start there. Okay. Um, I'm also going to be writing another book, but it won't be for at least three years, so I probably shouldn't even talk about it because I haven't even started writing it yet. But, um, but a topic? lot of... Um, it's about anxiety, like the end of anxiety problems. I, I don't have a working title yet, but um, but a, a lot of the content that I offer on my website is going to be the content that's in that upcoming book. Remind me the website domain. KristenOlmer.com. Of course, yeah. Yes. Thank you for joining us today. You've given me a lot to think about. I wish I would have done about the quiz. I would have taken it prior to <laughs> this interview, but I'll take it when we're done. So. May I say one more thing? Please. Your relationship with fear is actually the most important relationship of your life. Wow. Because it's the relationship that you have with yourself at your core. And however you treat it, you treat yourself. And if you don't have a loving, considerate relationship with it, you don't have a loving, considerate relationship with yourself. So it's, I think, the most important work you can possibly do is to have a healthy, loving relationship with fear. It, it simply changes everything. It's a completely different paradigm mindset shift. It is. Than I had when I came in here. And it's, it's, it will definitely impact me as I think about dropping the current stick and picking up the bigger stick. It's a metaphor for my own career, right? In my life as well, right. too. Everybody's facing, feeling that yeah. somehow in their life. And it's our future, because it has to be, because what we're doing isn't working. Yeah. Right. You know? And this I found, I've tested it again and again, it works. And you give me some great parenting tips today as well, too, for my son. So okay. thank you for joining us. Okay. Honored to have you here. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. Honestly, we're in presence today of greatness. I mean, in terms of one of the most <laughs> world-renowned extreme athletes in the world, an amazing skiing career, and what a gift, The Art of Fear by Kristen Ulmer. Pick up a copy and visit kristenolmer.com. Thanks for your time today. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you back here next week with a new guest on leadership.